Welcome to Some Like It Pops, List of Palooza, Episode 5. I'm Matt Timnini, and as always, I'm joined by Jennifer McHugh. Jen, are you ready to count things? As always. Alright, you can follow Jen on Twitter at EponineQ, that's E-P-O-N-I-N-E-Q, and you can follow me at B-W-W-M-A-T-T, and you can follow us both at our new fancy podcast handle, S-L-I-P Podcast, that's at S-L-I-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. You can find all episodes of Some Like It Pop, including list of palooses and special mini-episodes on BroadwayWorld.com, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So, please subscribe so that you can get every episode of Some Like It Pop as soon as it's available. Then share the sheer, all-encompassing joy that is Some Like It Pop with everyone you know. Okay, Jen, we are branching out into a new area of pop culture in today's list of palooza. We've done two theater-related ones, we've done two movie-related ones, and now we are branching in to the television arts. Give us a reminder as to what we are counting down this week. Well, today we are going to count down our favorite hour-long dramas that are currently in production on television. So even if they're on hiatus right now, if they air in the summer, if they air in the fall... Um, We're counting those, but we are not going to count things that, even though they're an hour, we wouldn't exactly consider dramas. So, like, we've both mentioned our diehard love for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, but we wouldn't consider that just because it's an hour. Yeah, and I think we also decided Jane the Virgin, despite all of the mellow drama, it is much more of a comedic drama. So I think we put that in the comedy category. Are we agreed right. on that one? Same with um, Shameless, you know. Dark, dark comedy, but probably a comedy nonetheless, especially right. for Emmy purposes. Same to things. I don't watch it, but Orange is the New Black. Right. Going for the drama is what I'm saying. Currently this... on television, drama. Okay. With all those qualifiers aside, <laughs> let's go ahead. Here's how we're going to do this. We're each going to reveal our... 10 through 6 favorite currently running TV dramas that are an hour long and not comedic at all. Then Jen and I will go back and forth with numbers 5 through 1. Then when we're done, Jen will tell us what we're counting next, which I have a feeling I can guess. (laughs) And also at the end of the episode, we're going to tell you how you can potentially win a prize pack full of stuff that I do not want that is currently sitting around my office. So sit on those pins and needles a little longer. All right, Jen, I will start us off. And I got to say... I love me some TV dramas. You've mentioned in the past that you are more of a TV comedy fan. I am. I am more of a TV drama fan. So this was hard for me. I know you already had this list prepared. Sure. So you did nothing other than open a document. This has been hard for me. There are some shows that I love that I am not including. But when it came down to it, I think I came up with a list that is as eclectic as you can possibly (laughs) get. So I am going to go first at number 10. The CW show The Flash. Next in the list at number nine is the Shondaland favorite Scandal. Up next is number eight, going back to the superhero-ish world. And I'm including this one because after two seasons, it has not yet received its cancellation notice, although that is probably coming pretty soon. So I wanted to get it on the list anyway. That is Marvel's Agent Carter. Number seven is USA's Mr. Robot. And number six, just because it is an older show and I feel like it is still incredibly good, but it doesn't have the resonance it did when it was new, is a show that we talked about on last week, Some Like It Pop, that is FX's The Americans. Okay. So what do you have, Jen? I think we're going to have a little crossover, but um, for my number 10, I have Netflix's Jessica Jones. For number nine, I have The Americans that we have just discussed in last week's episode. 
Number eight on Netflix, I have Bloodline. Number seven. Uh, have... That was that was one of those ones I didn't <laughs> include, but I wanted to so bad. Number seven, I have AMC's Better Call Saul. And number six, I have our beloved CW's iZombie. Mm, okay, interesting. All right, so so far, even though we only had, I think, one show that overlapped with the Americans, we both had a interesting cross-section of genres inside the larger dramatic umbrella. We do. We have some superheroes. We have some uh, international intrigue. We have some uh, New Mexico <laughs> lawyer. Shyster, shysters. Yeah. <laughs> some, okay. some zombies. We're good. Okay. All right. I will start off getting a little bit further in depth with my number five. And that is a show that we have talked about before because we both adore it. And one that I would not be surprised if it was higher on your list. And that is FX's Fargo. For me, um, this is a show that does have elements of humor, but I think with all of the blood, I think I'm safe in calling it a drama. It is a show that does crime well, it does characters well, it does humor well, it does accents well. There is nothing that this show doesn't do incredibly well. As I've talked about before, I preferred season one to season two, where I think it fell into something that we kind of talked about last week with, with Orphan Black, where it made itself too big of a world in the second season and it couldn't necessarily cater to everything that it had created but what it did get to was incredibly well done has great performances in both seasons even though the casts are completely different and this is a show that i will continue to go back to it is it is so unique in what it does and i think it has really revolutionized what we consider tv to be while there were anthology series decades before fargo and there are anthology series that were going on before Fargo that are still going on. This has showed us what an anthology series could be in terms of quality, in terms of scope, and in terms of cultural relevancy and resonance. Fargo, to me, is number five on my favorite dramas list. Um, I will be discussing that later. <laughs> okay. Had a feeling. Num- All right, so what do you have at number five? Just as I am sure my number five you will be discussing... <laughs> My number five is The Leftovers. Um, I've heard of it. Another show that we have gushed about in our previous episodes. Waxed poetic, As we don't think it gets enough recognition for its brilliance. I'm a huge Damon Lindelof fan. Obviously, I have a tattoo of Lost on my arm. (laughs) But I also want to sing the praises of, of one Justin Thoreau, who wasn't really on my radar before this. I mean, he makes a he he made me laugh in that movie Wanderlust where he met his wife, uh Rachel Green, but <laughs> he really really shows his chops as a dramatic actor in this show and talk about a show about characters. I mean, the circumstances in the show are quite literally out of this world and somehow he bring he grounds them and makes it relatable. And I hate that there's only one more season but at least there's one more season (laughs) i'm glad it got a third season because it's one that hbo very easily could have canceled and it wouldn't have had um no one could have complained because they gave it an opportunity when nobody else did what's interesting about justin thoreau not only is his performance as kevin garvey on the leftovers absolutely incredible but he is also a comedic writer as well he wrote wrote, um what did he write the Ben wrote, Stiller movie. He wrote Zoolander 2. He wrote Tropic Thunder. Tropic Thunder, yeah. He wrote Iron Man 2. He wrote Rock of Ages, the movie. 
he is he's a very multifaceted guy but really when it comes down to it he's mr jennifer aniston so but he's i just hope in the last season there's a lot more scenes with him falling out of a bathtub naked (laughs) that's my only request okie dokie quite literally my only request in life okay all right. <laughs> we, can, we can talk about Carrie Coon's na- uh, naked <laughs> later. So. All right. Number four on my list is a show, Jen, I believe you've heard of. It is Marvel's Jessica Jones. Mm. Uh, also already on your list. You can see on my list, this is already the third superhero show. And I've talked about my budding romance with comic books. But this, the reason I love this show has nothing to do with its Marvel cinematic universe or comic book origins. It has to do with the fact that it took a story that is violent and it's dark and it wasn't the first time we've seen superhero stories be that way but it was the first time we've seen a superhero story be dark be gritty but also have an incredibly powerful and moving fully integrated um political and social story with it as well the first season of jessica jones had to do with mind control and when it came to this story of mind control the the main character Jessica Jones is a woman who was forced to do things against her will that included be in a sexual relationship with her captor mental captor and and it was a, she was effectively raped over and over for over a year so it had to do with the very timely and very important discussion of consent how does a woman give consent? How does a person give consent? Because it's not just a, a, a female thing, even though it is primarily a female issue when it comes to not giving consent and having their consent taken away. But it did it in such an eloquent, elegant fashion that it was well folded into the story. It didn't beat you over the head with it, but it made its point very clear. And so I adored it for everything it did in terms of the beat em up shoot em up superhero stuff, but I loved it even more for the conscience that the storytelling had as well. Yeah, I, and I don't follow superhero shows as much as you do, but my roommate got me sucked into this and my big draw was David Tennant as a bad guy and it was well worth it. Yeah, and he was the mind control guy Mm -hmm. whose character I can't think of off the top of my head. He's the purple man in the comics, Um, but he is, uh, he was great and, and anything David Tennant does, which ironically... Doctor Who was something I left off my list. It was one of those that was on there, as was Bloodline, which you mentioned. But anyway, so Marvel's Jessica Jones on Netflix, season one currently streaming, season two coming sometime. I don't know if it's this fall or next spring. I'm I believe not sure. it's ne- it's this fall. This fall? Okay. Mm-hmm. So Jessica Jones, season two coming soon on Netflix. So Jen, what was your number four? My number four, you have mentioned in your top ten already, and that is... Uh, USA's Mr. Robot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only one season in. It's premiered last summer. It kind of became a sleeper hit out of nowhere. Uh, yeah. Christian Slater finally has a success. This <laughs> d- beloved 80s heartthrob has had so many pilot shows the last 10 years and they just never work. I'm so happy that he finally has a successful show. And it also stars Rami Malek. Well, it actually stars Rami Malek. Yeah. And it took me by surprise at how sucked into the show I got. Maybe it's just because of the low um, options during the summer, but I just thought it was really well executed. And um, season two should be premiering, I would assume, same around the same months. time. Yeah, like May or June or something. 
but it has gotten a lot of love in the off season. I know it's won a lot of awards. It's gotten a lot of attention. So I'm hoping it gets kind of that Breaking Bad kind of cult status where as it goes on, it gets more and more attention. Yeah, it was a Golden Globe winner. And we've talked about it before, the Golden Globes often recognize new TV shows because they like to be on the cutting edge of, of TV shows. Um, but very well received, obviously, it was in my top 10. It was number seven. Um, the reason it wasn't higher for me, one, because it has only done it on one season. But then also, as I've talked about before, the middle section is a little slow. We, You eventually realize why it was slow. But in the moment of watching episodes, and I don't know the exact episode numbers, you know, four through seven, you're like, okay, really? It stopped being good, and it's just really tedious now. But then when you get to this one moment, which is a literal holy shit moment, it all makes it, it makes it worthwhile and you understand why. But because of that slowness, I ranked it a little lower. But I agree with you that it is one of the best shows on TV and very much looking forward to seeing if they can recreate it and avoid the sophomore slump later this year. Me too. All right, number three for me superhero comic book show number four and that is one you have mentioned that is the cw's i zombie we've talked about the show before and we even mentioned it last week when we talked about comparisons with bbc america's orphan black and i zombie but i i love this show because it is so focused on creating interesting characters without letting them become cliches whether it is rose mciver's live more again the names on any Rob Thomas show are fantastic. She is a zombie who works at a medical examiner's office who has to eat brains to survive as a zombie, but also eats brains. And the side effects are that she that she assumes the personality of the, of the person's brain she's eating and then sometimes has their memories as well and helps her solve crimes. It's great. She is flanked by a Seattle police detective named Clive Babineau, who's a great character. Her boss in the medical examiner's office is Ravi. Her her ex-fiancé, who she turned into a zombie to keep him from dying, Major Lily White. Love. You've got da- yeah, one, name is name. great. Name, love. But his character is great, too. He, you, you know, when you see this big, strapping white guy who apparently was a a football player at the University of Washington. You're like, okay, I know who this character is. And then you're like, oh, wait, he's a social worker? And then, oh, wait, he's really kind of funny and sardonic? Okay, I didn't expect that. He's, He's turned into a really important, even more important of a character in season two as he has become what's dubbed as the chaos killer. But then you've got other characters like David Anders Blaine, who's the zombie who scratched Rose McIver's live into becoming um, a zombie. And you've got uh, Ali Machalka. You've got Steven Weber. It's just a great ensemble of characters. And even though I couldn't really care less or even follow the tainted utopia Max Rager stories, the characters keep me coming back. And the dialogue from Rob Thomas and uh, and the other writers and Diana Ruggiero Wright, um, the other creator... It's just, it makes me laugh in so many unexpected ways on a weekly basis. To the fact on this last episode that I've seen by the time we're taping this, <laughs> they did a commercial with music by Rob Thomas, not the show's <laughs> creator, but the, what is it, Matchbox 20? Mm-hmm. or Yeah. Yeah. And they make a Santana smooth reference, and it's just so smart. And all the musical theater references and theater references that they've done over the two seasons, 
I, I, I just adore iZombie as you do. So number three on my list is the CW's iZombie. It's true. And we've, you know, gushed about this show as well, how it's just, I mean, we have a recurring theme, obviously, in our taste, which is uh, well-developed characters. Trump's, I uh, hate that I said that, is better <laughs> than plot um, yep. any day of the week. And this show corners the market on that because... I don't really care about the tainted utopia. I just want to make sure that Major's okay. And I want to know yes. that Liv's going to get her brains. Like, I'm really invested in them, but it's it's ridiculous, but they're just wonderful. Yeah. I love I mean, what's Rob interesting, Thomas. Yeah, and Rob Thomas is great, and uh, Veronica Mars is one of my favorite shows of all time. And uh, to see the little occasional overlaps with Keith Mars showing up oh, at one delightful. point. Yeah, and then Kristen, uh, Kristen Bell playing herself in a voice cameo, which we've mentioned before. It's just a, a great show, and I'm really excited that they've already been picked up for season three. All right, what do you have as number three on your list, Jen? Uh, you're previously spoken about Fargo. It <laughs> is everything you said it is and more. I actually did like the second season a little bit better. Okay. Mostly because I love that era, and hmm. um, Bokeem Woodbine's character, Mike... <laughs> Mike Milligan? Mike Milligan is might go down in history as one of my favorite characters of all time. Um, and the fact that the second season, it really kind of threw you for a loop as you were focused on one thing. And then maybe two episodes before the finale, you're like, Oh wait, it's that guy's story. Mm-hmm. And that just really impressed me. And um, it's just, maybe it's like the Midwest accent where they're saying all these vile and horrible things. <laughs> And they're just like, okay, yeah, 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 I'll kill him. And Don't you know. it's just, it's so well done. And and you, you spoke about it in our other episode about how FX is just really, they're all about the quality. And uh, I think their, their whole new method of doing these anthology series is just a testament to how great of a network that they've become. Which is funny because I, I really have not watched a drama on the actual Fox network in god i since 24 i guess is the last drama that i really tuned into but there is not a drama that fx doesn't put on the air that i won't at least give a chance yeah they're they're really uh they're really up there in terms of quality they're rival if not surpassed hbo in quality yeah and what i think the difference is between fx and and hbo and i'll throw showtime in there as well i feel like those premium networks haven't innovated as much as they should have. I feel like HBO kick-started the anti-hero trend with, obviously, The Sopranos, and that is kind of where they're still stuck, I feel like. And that's kind of, and we've talked about this before, maybe you love vinyl because of the period, as we talked about mm-hmm. with Fargo, but I, I feel like it's a, it is just a derivative of The Sopranos or a derivative of Breaking Bad, where it's this anti-hero that we've seen over and over. And if you think about the shows that do really well on FX, they're not anti-heroes. They they aren't necessarily heroes, because we're talking about things like the Americans, where the main characters are the Soviets, and yet you still root for them. and Or something like Fargo, where everybody on that show is a murderer but you still root for them, but they're not really anti-heroes. They're likable. So I think the difference between what FX is doing and what HBO and and even Showtime is doing is that they're not innovating and adapting with the times that we, so many of the best dramas have a little wink and have a little humor in them. And I don't think they're doing that nearly as well as FX is. And I think OJ did that as well. 
where it always had a little bit of a smirk going on with it as well. All right, number two on my list. Jen, have you ever heard of a show on HBO called The Leftovers? No, no, tell me Never about it. Never heard of it. <laughs> okay, well, you just talked about it and you, you, you spoke perfectly about it and I can't disagree with a single thing you said. I, I The one thing I will add is that it gets incredible performances from a very diverse cast. Obviously, Justin Thoreau is at the center of of this show, but it is a show that has great actors in some small roles going i mean going all the way down to and i think you mentioned her on our previous episode of some like it pop the beloved donatella moss from from the west wing janelle maloney who i think has said like 10 words in two seasons on this show she's paralyzed in a in a wheelchair and has said almost nothing in two seasons it has appeared in a half dozen episodes but you've got her you've got amy brenneman you have Going back to Doctor Who, former Doctor Christopher Eccleston, you've got Liv Tyler, you've got um, Anne Dowd is fantastic, you've got Regina King in the second season, Kevin Carroll in the second season. But then, of course, I'm going to go back to who I mentioned earlier, Carrie Coon, who I think has, once we started to see the connection between Nora and Kevin, that is when I started to care more about Kevin's character. Before, he was a malcontent and somebody who had no grounding because he was just had nothing going for him. When we started to see the relationship between Nora and Kevin develop, that's when you started, and for me at least, started to really root for him and to see him as a sympathetic character. I think Carrie Coon, whether it's on stage, uh, on Broadway, or on TV, is a fantastically talented actress. And the more we can see of her on screen is, is great. And I'm a big fan of her husband as well, um, Pulitzer Prize winner uh, Tracy Letts. So more more theater people on screen is, is a good thing. Agreed. I mean, yeah. another recurring theme, every time we call out someone for their acting chops, we're like, oh, are they a theater person? Of course they are. Yes, they are. <laughs> but, but what's interesting about that is, is that the two things that matter the most to us are character development and an acting ability. And it seems like those things also revolve very nicely around our theatrical backgrounds as well. So, you know, when you look at who the best actors on TV are, most of them have, you know, theater cred as well. That's a message to you actors out there. Go to go to school for theater. Yes, because all of these actors, professional actors, are listening <laughs> yeah, to this show. They only listen taking, to this. <laughs> and taking advice from us massive... Successful theatrical actors, yeah. Yeah. I, last time I was in a play, I was a senior in high school. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Jen, what do you have as number two on your list? Well, before I speak to my number two, I will predict that our number ones are the same since neither one of us has mentioned it yet. But <laughs> we'll get back to that in a second. So we might just want to have a general discussion about that and ex- instead That's of a, a reveal. Uh, my number okay. two, I know, isn't on your list, but it is The Walking Dead. And I'm not going to try and convince you or anyone else to watch it because you either want to or you don't. And it has a Game of Thrones-like cult following, where if you watch it, you get it. And if you don't, you hate the people that watch it. (laughs) Um, I think this show has gotten better every single season, which I've never said about a show before. And this past season, season six, is the best it has ever been. They have just added the worst villain in the history of the show, called Negan, played by the incomparable Jeffrey Dean Morgan. 
And the show ended with an old school cliffhanger where Negan killed a very major character and we don't know who it is because all the major characters were lined up in front of him. He swung his club wrapped in barbed wire, blood splattered the camera, and we don't know who it was. A lot of complaints online. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was so old school and such a throwback to will they or won't they or who shot JR or etc. And um, it still for me remains one of the best dramas on television. I, as a comic book fan, I'm surprised that you, you're not into it. But again, well, I'm not going to tell it, you what to do. <laughs> well, the reason I'm not into it has nothing to do with whether or not I'm interested by it. I am definitely interested in it. it. It falls in the Breaking Bad category for me to where by the time I was at a position with my schedule where I could watch more TV, um, I was so far behind that it seems so daunting to start. And you told me this is not something you want to start mid. You have to start at the beginning. And it's just one that I haven't had time yet to go back and watch. But I have no doubt that I will at some point. Um, in fact, I'm looking at the first, I have the first Walking Dead comic on my shelf right now. So I'm sure I will read the comic books and watch the series at some point and probably get into Fear of the Walking Dead as well because I love that kind of stuff. It's just, like you said, it it it. it it has so much history now that it's in its sixth season that it is very difficult to it, it, it's there's so much it's hard to go back and watch from the beginning and try to catch up because it's going to take you some time. It is. And the thing that I think is brilliant about it is that it doesn't follow the comic exactly, but it always pays homage to it. So. For instance, if someone in the comic dies in a brutal way, that brutal death will happen on the TV show, but to a different character. So mm. it interweaves so well that you never know what's coming. So the person in the comic that Negan kills in this brutal way, nobody, I mean, that's not going to be the person they kill in the comics. So, Although it would be really interesting if that's who it would, actually dies. Like they know. throw you. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's interesting you say that because... That's one of the things about, um, you, you mentioned Game of Thrones, which neither of us watch because we don't care about dragons, but that those are based on books as well. So when the major things happen, like the Red Wedding, which I haven't seen it, but I know what it is because everyone talked about it, the people who had read the books knew it was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. And, and so they knew it. And that's interesting that you say that if you read the, the Walking Dead comic books, you have more information than other people. But it doesn't spoil what you're seeing on TV. Yeah, I think that's just a brilliant way they go about it. And um, like you said, it's it's a big venture to jump into because season six payoff won't be as much of a payoff to you if you haven't watched it from the beginning. Because you're not going to be as invested in the person Negan kills. But I understand where you're coming from, that you have to watch it from the beginning. But I, I do hope that you get into it someday to really yeah. witness the brilliance of the whole concept of who you become, who you have to become in the face of adversity. And the walkers are really just the, the factor. It's not about zombies. It's just, that's the adversity in this series. Yeah. I think it's my brother's favorite show. So he always talks about how great it is and tells me I have to watch it. And then I don't, and he gets mad at me. So <laughs> maybe we'll have to have him on the show. I think for we the, do. Uh, Cause I feel like yeah. I have more in common with him. Yes, but that would be a really boring podcast if you agreed on everything. <laughs> All true. right, speaking of agreeing, <laughs> you mentioned it, a show that you and I have both left off our lists that seems <laughs> counterintuitive other than the fact that we both have it as number one. Do you want to try to say it at the same time on the count of three? Sure. 
All right, I'll say three. So we'll go one, two, three, and then say it. Not one, two, and say it on got three. It, got it, got it, got it. Okay, ready? One, two, three, rectify. rectify. Yes, <laughs> yes, this is my favorite show on TV, and we've talked about it a little bit before, but interestingly enough, it is a summer se- series, so we haven't actually been recording podcasts while it's been on the air, so I'm excited for it to come back in its next season here in the coming months. It airs on the little-known Sundance TV, which I didn't even know was a channel until I heard about this show. It centers on uh, a character named Daniel Holden, who was convicted of raping and murdering his 16-year-old girlfriend, then spent 19 years on death row until DNA evidence vacates his original trial. It does not exonerate him, but it gets him off death row. It then tells the story of him reintegrating into society and into his family and the difficulty that not only his history carries with it, but also the nearly two decades of solitary confinement, how that has changed an already bizarre character, a bizarre person, into somebody who really has no ability to function with other human beings. It is a heartbreaking show. It is a show that continually gives you reason to hope, though. The performances are fantastic. Aiden Young as Daniel Holden, Abigail Spencer as his sister, Amantha. Um, Their mother, Janet, played by J. Smith Cameron, is just, holy crap, is she impressive. Teddy Jr., their stepbrother, played by Clayne Crawford, who went from the most asshole-ish character in the first season to where now I have so much sympathy and empathy for that character. It's a clinic in acting, and and Jen, I know you want to talk about it, so I'll leave some of this other stuff to you, but it really is unlike anything else on TV. It is. I feel it's Shakespearean almost in in the way that it's constructed and the tone. Um, the way when you're watching it, I feel like it's more about what isn't being said. So there's full conversations that happen with no dialogue. Um, there's so much tension with him returning home because his father had died while he was in prison and his mother had married his father's business partner. So he's moving back home, but it's not his home anymore. It's his mother and this other man's and his children's home. So just that dynamic alone. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it, and Teddy, who you had mentioned, who is goes, he's the Jamie Lannister, so to speak of the horrific character going into the most empathetic I don't know if everybody is 100% convinced he didn't do it. And we should mention that it is not clear whether he is guilty or not guilty at all. Absolutely. He was convicted because he confessed when he was 16. He has again confessed now that he's an adult to, to kind of spare himself a retrial and to just get probation. But he has said from the beginning, I don't remember. He said, I just don't know whether he blocked it out or he didn't do it. He doesn't know. And nobody seems to know. There has been some movement in the latter parts of the last season to try to get to an answer. And it's becoming less it's becoming less and less likely that he did do it. But that's not clear. And, and to be honest with you, that's not what the story is about. Yeah, I'm whether not sure he, that it's relevant. No, whether he did it or not, he went through the experience of thinking he did it to paying for the fact that People thought he did it for 20 years, and he is so emotionally damaged and scarred that seeing him kind of deal with those burdens is is what's the most interesting thing. And seeing how the people around him deal with it, because these characters are unlike anything you said. And there are scenes, like you mentioned without talking, where he just stands in the middle 
of a field or in the middle of the forest and you have a little you know a little music underneath but it's mostly just ambient noise birds wind and he just stands there and you understand exactly what he is feeling without a word ever being uttered and it is unlike anything else this next season will be the final season it's already been announced but because it has gotten almost zero ratings for the first three seasons the fact that it got a fourth season on Sundance is is a testament to their obligation to quality because this is a great show it only it's only had 22 episodes in the first three seasons so I don't know how many episodes it's getting in season four if it's just six but if it's just six I guarantee you those will be six of the best hours of TV you'll see all year I also want to mention Tandy Tawny Adelaide Tawny Tawny. she plays Teddy Jr.'s wife and she's another really interesting character. She's super religious. She's married to to Teddy. She's very committed to him. And in this past season, you know, there's been some tension with her and Daniel. There's an attraction there. Neither one of them have any idea what to do with it. And she winds up leaving Teddy. And that's what kind of turns him a little bit sympathetic when he realizes what he has to lose. Also, the other character is the sheriff. Um, yeah. Sheriff Ooh. Baggett, who starts out as like a classic villain who's just out to get him out to prove that the system was right and then out of nowhere last season he's his ally yeah um and so and he and he retweets everything that you and i say he really does we love him jd evermore (laughs) shout out um (laughs) but it's uh like you said before it's it's really something that needs to be seen it's not as daunting as the walking dead like starting from the beginning because there are so few episodes but you will not regret it it is some of the best acting like i said it's shakespearean it's greek it's it's just old school good writing and I, i and not really huge names i mean i've seen a few of the people in bit parts before maybe j smith cameron might be the biggest but abigail spencer has popped up on a few shows but no real big names in this either and they're just all great after the first season of the leftovers there was a big discussion about it how it was too depressing it was they called it grief porn (laughs) there is a sense of that in rectify because there is very little to be happy about in this but the characters, it, it's much different. It is not as suffocatingly depressing as the first season of Leftovers is. There is a natural optimism in this. And I don't know if it's because the first season of Leftovers was almost completely in the dark at night. And so many of the scenes in Rectify use outside natural light that it just has a more optimistic feeling. So it's very different, even though the, the, the content feels very dark and difficult. And I say that they find a new way to break your heart every episode. It's one of those breaking your hearts that makes you actually smile a little bit because of how, you know, it it breaks your heart because of how much you care about these characters. And that's, you know, a, the best kind of heartbreak is, is because you love somebody as a character or you see characters on screen love each other. So, I again, a completely thumbs up on this one. And to go back to a previous point, you mentioned how great uh, Adelaide Clemens is. She is currently starring off-Broadway in the Kenneth Lonegren uh, play Hold On To Me Darling, opposite uh, opposite Timothy Oliphant. Okay, so she's a stage actor. Again, yeah. back to the same theme. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, okay, so Jen, this is, uh, this is by far the list where we have had the most overlap. And obviously, when you put all the restrictions we talked about at the beginning of the episode on it, that was likely to happen. But it's interesting, this first time we've ever had the same number one, it's yeah. definitely the most overlap we've had. 
that's interesting because I have a feeling our next list will be semi-related. What will our next list of Palooza list be about? <laughs> See, I was tempted to throw you a curveball and do yeah. something completely off the wall, but yeah, I will I will give in to your predictability and say let's try to do our ten, top 10 comedies. Are there are Again, there 10 comedies on TV? I I can't get it below 20. So <laughs> I'm going to have to struggle with this one. But yeah, currently on the air whether on hiatus or not. Um do you want to stick to the half hour thing or do you want it just strict comedies? I think I'm I'm hesitant to say half an hour just because Crazy Ex-Girlfriend you, exists. <laughs> Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and Jane the Virgin. I love those shows, but it's still very hard for me to consider those comedies. I can't right. consider them dramas. I, I defer to your list-making prowess. If you want to include hour-long comedies or well, dramedies, we can. Or if you want to stick to half an hour, I'm fine with that, too. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the parameter on it to stick to the half-hour format. Okay, I think that's fair. I, that's what I wanted to do, but I don't. I feel bad leaving off Jane the Virgin, but we know how much that we both love I don't those think two CW any, shows. Anybody out there, nobody thinks we don't love Jane the Virgin and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I, it, it's we been talk stated. about that <laughs> It's been, they know. Yes, they do. Good point. Okay, so, Jen, you have told us what our next list is. In our previous episode of Some Like It Pop, I explained that despite people voting on who they thought would win our 2016 TV movie March Madness Bracket Challenge, nobody correctly predicted that a little-known television show called Lost would win. So I'm still in possession of a box full of uh, old playbills, old um, promotional materials, a cassette tape of the soundtrack for the movie Spotlight. So we're going to give this away. If you can predict both Jen and my favorite comedies on this next list correctly, you will get the prize. If multiple people predict it, I will pick one at random. Or uh, how about this? I'll go with the first person to predict it. You have to tweet at us, at SLIP Podcast. You must be a follower. And if you can pick what Jen's favorite comedy is and what my favorite comedy is, you get prizes. We promise we will not change these, these lists just to either avoid a winner or to get a winner. Jen's already got her list made. Hers is just trying to figure out. I just have to narrow it down to 10. (laughs) Yeah. I do not have this list, but I know what my number one will already be. So tell us what you think we will, we will pick. And if you get it correct, you get some really unexciting prizes. Thanks for listening to Some Like It Pops List of Palooza, Episode 5. You can find all of our episodes on broadwayworld.com, and you can now get new episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at SLIP Podcast, and you can follow Jen at Eponine Q. You can follow me at BWW Matt. We love talking pop culture, so uh, say hi on Twitter, huh? Also follow Broadway Radio on Twitter and Facebook at Broadway Radio and subscribe to Broadway Radio's Superfeed on iTunes and Stitcher. We've got some really exciting stuff about to happen over there, so don't miss out. We will be back next week with a brand new Some Like It Pop. We will have a very female TV-driven episode and maybe a separate special episode dedicated to a certain book that broke the internet last week. So, until then, we'll see you around the Broadway world. <laughs>